are listening to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. In this episode, we will be sharing the audio from a previous webinar hosted as part of the iConnect webinar series. Each of these webinars has been delivered by a healthcare professional sharing their experience. Webinar recordings are available for viewing at www.ivtherapymadesimple.ca. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us today uh, to this summit. Thanks, uh, Mohammed, for the, this kind introduction. So today I would like to uh, share some uh, data and also uh, my experience on the fluid resuscitation in septic shock. Okay, okay. So I want to start with uh, some concept and the role of the fluid resuscitation in septic shock. Is there any harmful effect if we do uh, if we give too much fluid during the resuscitation, and what type of solution that we can use in ICU or in the emerge during the resuscitation in septic shock? I will finish with some data on the balanced solution versus no balanced solution on mortality and morbidity uh, um, during uh, the resuscitation in septic shock. These are my disclosures. So let's start with a case. Um, so it, uh, we have a female 22-year-old lady uh, came into the eMERGE for several days of shortness of breath, cough, and fever. She does not have any past medical history, she's not on a medication, and she's not an IV drug user. At, at arrival in the eMERGE, uh, her vitals are okay, uh, except she's a little bit uh, tachycardic, and O2 sat is 92% on room air. So we did a chest X-ray. As you can see here, uh, we have a dense infiltrate uh, in the right upper lobe of her lung. So we did some blood work. The white count is 18, suggest, uh, suggested by acute infection. Um, hemoglobin is 115, creatinine is normal, lights are normal. And there's a lactate is 2.5, maybe in the upper uh, limit of the normal range or mildly elevated. We have a pH of 7.35 by a cap of 20 and PCO2 of 28. So it merged, the physician concluded that she had uh, a community acquired pneumonia. So rapidly she consulted us in ICU and uh, the antibiotic, IV antibiotic has started rapidly. Give her two liters of crystalloid, continue with a saline at 100 cc per hour. And also we put a Foley in to follow her at urine output. So the next day, Patient has a fluid balance positive 4.5 liter maintenance saline. She needs more and more oxygen to have uh, optimal O2 sats. She became more tachypnic, more drowsy. The blood gas showed deterioration, and unfortunately, she ended up with uh, the intubation and mechanical ventilation. As expected, after the intubation, she became hypotensive and also allegoric. So, niperifine has been started to maintain her blood pressure. Repeat another chest x ray. So besides the dense infiltrating the right upper lobe, we can also easily appreciate the diffuse uh, bilateral uh, pulmonary infiltrate that is highly suggestive of pulmonary edema. So her vitals continue deteriorated. We have to uh, jack up the dosage of the norepinephrine, become more tachycardic. CVP uh, is eight, urine output remain low, but now she become acidotic with pH of 7.28, bicarb of 16 with high lactate. So despite the aggressive uh, fluid resuscitation and also antibiotics and the vessel pressure, she continued to deteriorate and show some sign of uh, end organ failure. 
uh, lactate is full, uh, means there's a hypo, a tissue hypoperfusion, and, and definitely the uh, kidney will become uh, um, uh, an issue uh, in the next few hours, a few days, uh, if the urine output remains low. So what happened? Um, yeah, so we want to know what happened to this uh, patient, uh, 32 year old without any history of heart disease, uh, continue to have deterioration despite the, uh, the treatment. So we did an echo on her to assess her function. In the upper part of the echo clip here shows uh, right, uh, the ventricle and the lower part is the atrium. As you see here is the right ventricle and the left ventricle. So both ventricle uh, don't contract too much. Um, this echo show a severe biventricular uh, dysfunction. This another view in apical three chamber view show the left ventricle in the upper side show the same thing, and as in the uh, in the in the apical two chamber view. So we now understand why she have edema, because patient develop a severe uh, biventricular dysfunction. The LVEF is estimated around five to ten percent. So what we do next? Patient have community acquired pneumonia, septic shock with severe LV dysfunction. So should we continue to give fluids, start some pressures or maybe inotrope to support her, her half function or give her uh, a stress dose of steroids in the refractory uh, septic shock? So what happened is we continue to give her some fluid the balance, fluid balance uh, climb up to 8.5 liter, and more and more needs of the vasopressor and inotrope to support her hemodynamics. She become more uh, oliguric, creatinine level up to 180, and the lactate remain full, persistently high, so definitely um, tissue hypoperfusion. Bicap is 12, pH is 7.2. So in the next part of the next few four day, a few few hours, patient will need a CVV CRRT if the kidney dysfunction continue to deteriorate. Um, so let's talk about the septic shock, how to resuscitate the patient, how to, uh, do we have any goal of resuscitation uh, during uh, the treatment? So this is a protocol published by Rivers in New England Journal of Medicine in 2001. He uh, suggests uh, during the, the septic shock, patient came to the emergency room, um, he suggests to take the patient in charge as rapidly as possible in the eMERGE, give them uh, antibiotics, visopressor uh, fluids, and transfusion is needed within first six hours. At that time, um, uh, the, the management of septic shocks is, is, is uh, a little bit delayed until patient has admitted in the ICU at the, uh, the treatment can be started. But he suggests to start as soon as possible the, the treatment, uh, the necessary treatment for the septic shock compare as the standard uh, therapy. The main four goal that you need to achieve during the resuscitation is to maintain the mean arterial pressure above 65 millimercury, um, have a CVP around eight to 12 to maintain um, the good volume status. Also to maintain the mixed venous saturation about 70 to 70% and to maintain the urine output more than 0.5 cc per kilo per hour. So he assessed this strategy as compared to the standard therapy on the mortality and the morbidity of the patient during the severe sepsis. This table show uh, the, the amount of the fluid has been given during the first six hours in both groups, 
up to first 72 hours uh, in both groups. So as you see in the first six hours in the early go directive therapy, they receive almost five liters of fluid compared to 3.5 liter in the standard group. But at the end of the first three days of the resuscitation, they end up with the same amount uh, of the fluid, which is 13 liters. Because the protocol includes blood transfusion when the hematocrit is less than 30%, so you can see in the end in the interventional group, there's a more and more patient have received transfusion as compared to standard therapy. This slide shows the in-hospital mortality, 28 days mortality and 60 days mortality in both groups. When we use the strategy of the early go directive therapy, we have reduced the mortality rate from 59% the standard, standard group to the 38%, which is the uh, significant uh, risk relative reduction of 42% of the risk of mortality. This is statistically significant. And this benefit on the mortality persists beyond the in-hospital uh, during the ICU, also after 28 days and 60 days of mortality. So these studies has definitely changed our practice since the last 20 years. We are more aggressive in the uh, resuscitation during the septic shock. We start right away as rapidly as possible to give the patient the fluid, the antibiotics and vasopressors to uh, maintain the minimal and optimal hemodynamic in order to maintain the tissue perfusion. But how does it work, the sepsis, the severe sepsis or septic shock? So in septic shock, we definitely have a tissue hypoperfusion. This tissue hypoperfusion will release a various vasodilator and systemic inflammatory agents that can lead to vasoplegia and third space fluid extravasation. Vasoplegia will cause, hyper, will cause hypotension, contribute to persistent shock, Third space fluid extravasation will lead to intravascular depletion, which also leads to hypoperfusion, hypotension, and shock. So in septic shock or severe sepsis, what we need to do is rapidly to fight against the vasoplasia to give them the vasopressor to maintain the hemodynamics. Oops. Oops. And also give them fluid to uh, avoid the intravascular depletion and also maintain tissue perfusion and try to um, stop these visual circles of the septic shock and uh, try to save the patient. So this slide show uh, two um, series of studies. Uh, in the middle of the table, uh, there's a three old studies assessing the protocol of early go directive therapy in septic shock. Uh, as, as you see, uh, when we pull together, the benefit on the mortality is still in, is in favor of the interventional group as compared to the usual uh, interstandard group. But this benefit has not been reproduced by the recent trial, including ARISE process and PROMISE. Uh, all this trial uh, is in the septic shock using the same protocol of early go directive therapy as compared to the standard group. Uh, we are a, a little bit surprised of that, but when we look into it in details of those studies, actually in the standard group, we already do uh, the, rap the, the very rapid early go directive therapy. And also over time, there's an improvement of management of the septic shock that, can, uh, that needs to reduce the mortality rate of the septic shock. 
just remind you in the river trial, the control group, the mortality rate is 52%. And in the recent studies, the mortality rate is less than 30%. Perhaps maybe do these two explanation can, um, uh, uh, these two uh, reasons can explain why we don't uh, find any uh, significant difference in the recent trial. So in summary, when you look at the shock over time, we need to give them, give the patient as rapidly as possible the antibiotics to treat the infection. Each hour delayed of antibiotic administration will cause 1% of increase in the mortality of those patients. We need to give the fluids to uh, avoid uh, intravascular depletion, but rapidly we need to introduce the vasopressor to maintain uh, the tissue perfusion to avoid uh, the vicious circles of the septic shock. And at the end, if we have uh, a, 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 a appearance of myocardial dysfunction that we may need to give some, some inotrope, such as the vitamin epinephrine. And we can also try um, if the patient remain in a severe shock, despite all this treatment, we can try some stress dose of steroids to uh, recover the responsiveness of the vessel to uh, the vasopressors. Oh, we ha I have a question here. So the question is how many grams of sodium is contained in one liter of normal saline? Yep, so 53% of audience respond to nine grams. Yes, it's nine grams. Uh, because it's 0.9% of normal saline. Uh, but if you uh, imagine that you give five liters of saline during the first 24 hours of resuscitation in septic shock, you, have, you just give 45 grams of sodium to patients. And just to give you an idea, the daily restriction of sodium intake in patients with heart failure is 1.5 grams. So you just give 40, almost 30, 30 times of sodium uh, content to a patient during the septic shock. Can I go through? So definitely sodium retention means tish, uh, uh, um, uh, um, water retention. So water retention means tissue edema. We can easily assess and appreciate the tissue edema uh, in the lungs, in the lungs, in the arms, in legs. But if this tissue edema happens in the legs, definitely it will happen in other organs most in vital organs. So let's say if the tissue edema happens in the brain, that gives you cerebral edema, that definitely will induce delirium and confusion. If it happens in the, in the lungs, that will give you pulmonary edema and will give you desaturation and respiratory failure. In the guts, so gut edema will give you ileus and bacterial translocation. In the kidneys, definitely will give you acute renal failure because of the decrease of glomerular refiltration rate associated with this edema. So this table shows us the severity of the disease over time. Normally when the infection happens, it will grow up to uh, achieve, to reach a peak. And that time we give the, or before that time we give the treatment and the condition improve and the severity decreased. If our treatment has complication, so what happened to the disease? Will be a two peaks instead of one peak, and it will prolong the duration of the disease. And these complications 
definitely uh, the fluid over resuscitation can contribute it, um, of tissue edema. If it happened to the brain, to the lung, to the kidneys, and perhaps to the heart. If the heart has myocardial edema, definitely we have arrhythmia, and in particular the atrial fibrillation that you have, that you, is frequently seen in the ICU. So this table shows a sub-study of the VAST uh, trial, um, looking at the four categories of patients uh, according to the fluid balance at 12 hours and day four of the septic shock. The quartile one, if the group of the patient received less fluid compared to the quartile four, uh, received uh, a lot of fluid. In day four, you can see it's 20 liters in quartile four as compared to the 15 liters in quartile one patients. And we correlate the mortality rate according to their, to their uh, fluid balance. And you can see at 25 days, the, uh, the survival is markedly reduced in the, in the category four compared to the category one. Uh, this definitely alert, definitely alarm to tell us the fluid overload may have a uh, harmful effect on mortality in the septic patient. So it's very difficult to assess uh, how much fluid we need to give to a patient. We definitely need to avoid hypovolemia to avoid intravascular depletion because we need to maintain tissue perfusion. But on the other hand, we have to avoid uh, volume over resuscitation to avoid um, the, the tissue edema in various organs. So we need to just to find out the, middle, the, the best middle of, uh, of the fluid resuscitation. And it's not easy to do uh, in it because it's, var it's, it's variable in each patient. It's a trade-off. We need to give enough fluid, but not too much, and to avoid fluid, uh, to avoid uh, hypervolemia. There's a, a several trials ongoing to look at the restrict restrictive or liberal fluid resuscitation during septic shock is still ongoing. Data probably will come up in, in the next few years. That would be um, interesting to see if uh, we avoid hypervolemia in the, in the septic shock, will that we uh, improve, will that improve the outcome of uh, such patients? And now the question is to ask which type of solution that we should use. We know uh, there's two types of colloids. One is the starch and the other one is albumin. We know in the past few years, uh, several studies show that starch that, use, uh, that has been used uh, many, uh, many, many uh, years in the ICU uh, have shown that actually the starch is associated with uh, acute renal failure and perhaps increase of mortality in septic shock patients. So their use has been banned since uh, last 10 years in the ICU. Um, so the other uh, colloid uh, still is still used in the ICU is albumin. This al uh, this uh, colloid has been studied in two trials, which is uh, one is the SAFE trial and the other is Abios trial, and there's a neutral effect on mortality uh, in septic shock. The only advantage of using albumin uh, is to reduce use of uh, crystalloid in the resuscitation. Okay, pulling questions again. So uh, what is the pH of normal saline? Okay, so the majority of the audience uh, answer 7.4, the pH of saline, and a quarter of uh, 
answer five, pH of five, and the rest is 6.5, only 4% uh, answers 8.5. Good, so carry on. The next questions, what is the pH of lactate ringers? Okay, the majority uh, answers 7.4 pH, and 34% of uh, audience answers 6.5, and the rest is five and 8.5, okay. And the last question, so what's the pH of the plasma light? So pH of 7.4 in the majority case, yes. So let's see the answers. Okay, so this table uh, shows several uh, crystalloids and also some colloids. Just concentrate with the first three uh, crystalloids because we use them very frequently, actually the first two, sadine and uh, uh, lactate. So let's see the pH. Can we move the band? Yeah, so actually the pH of saline is five. So uh, each time we give the saline, actually we give some acid solution to the patient. Ringer lactate 6.5 and plasma light is 7.4. The contents of sodium is 154 in uh, normal saline as compared to 130 in ringers and light uh, plasma light 140. High lat chloride contents 154 in normal saline as compared to two others. And I want to underline the osmolality because it's important. If 310 in normal saline and the other two is considered hypotonic, so we can actually uh, not able to give the ringers of plasma light to, um, to resuscitate patient with traumatic brain injury because we need to give some, uh, give the fluid, isotonic fluid to resuscitate, to resuscitate those patients. Okay, so we now know that we, by giving normal saline, we will end up with hyperchloremic metabolic acidosis, be also sodium overload. We have talked about the sodium overload with tissue edema. So now we're talking, we will talk about the hyperchloremic metabolic acidosis. Is this the benign conditions? Uh, definitely not, because there's some uh, harmful effect of metabolic acidosis on the heart function. It can depress uh, the myocardial contractility. It can also uh, increase the hyperkalemia uh, hyper, uh, and leading to some uh, uh, cardiac arrhythmia. Um, will uh, induce resistance to the effect of acetylcholine, can induce venal constriction of peripheral veins that can increase the fluid pressure of the heart, can also increase the vessel constriction of pulmonary artery, induce uh, pulmonary hypertension. All those effects can contribute to myocardial uh, dysfunction, uh, and also uh, hypotension. How about the lungs? It can increase the resp respiratory stimulus, increase the worth of breathing, and the right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, which uh, make the lung function uh, less efficient. And also, if there's increased respiratory stimulus, imagine patients intubated, it might induce some dyssynchrony between the patient and ventilator, that's require more sedation to intubate to those uh, intubate patients. Is any other effect of the hyperkaremia uh, on, on other organs? This study uh, is to assess the effect of the hyperkaremia uh, in patient after no cardiac surgery on the morbidity and the mortality. It's a, registry, uh, it's a retrospective study done in Toronto, in three center of Toronto between 2003 and 2008 um, in patient uh, above 18 year old uh, 
uh, undergo elective nocardic surgery. So patient received cardiac surgery, transplantation, cardiac arrest, pre-op eight, acute renal failure and hyperkalemia, I excluded. They do a propensity score match to match two groups of patients, uh, one group of normal chloride content and the other group is hyperkalemia in day one and day two post-op. And they want to know the effect of the mortality and the renal function and also length of stay in the hospital. So there's a big registry, a star with 136,000 patients. With the exclusion, we end up with 22,000 patients in the data set. Still a huge number of patients, but it's definitely uh, is a selected uh, population. So it's a very heavy table, um, but we just want, I just want to show you that in the left side is the entire co-opt and the right side is the match co-opt. Uh, as you can see, after the matching, the, both groups are very comparable in terms of age, in terms of the procedure, surgical procedure, surgical pro uh, duration, and also the comorbidity. They define hyperkaremia as the concentration of the chloride above 110 in the blood in post-op day one or day two. So this table shows the outcome, uh, including mortality, length of, stay, length of the hospital stay, and the renal function, which is defined, class of, uh, categorized as risk, injury, or failure. Risk is because there's a decrease of 25% of the glomerular filtration rate. Injury, more than 50% of decrease, and failure, more than 75 of decrease. So in the right side again, after the matching, as you can see, the mortality rate in the hyperkaremia group is 3%, which is reduced in the normal uh, group uh, with the normal chloride group actually to 1.9%. And this is statistically significant. And the length of stay is reduced from seven days to 6.3 days, which is significant too. When we look at the kidney function, the risk, that means there's a decrease of 25% of the glomerular filtration rate was 12.9% in the hyperglomerular group, and has, is, uh, the risk is reduced to 9.2% on, on the normal chloride groups. Now, I would not say this is a cause direct effect uh, of the hyperchloremia on those outcomes, but definitely there's an association uh, with, between hyperchloremia and the uh, kidney injury, or even though the mortality. But how's that? How come hyperchloremia can cause acute renal failure? There's a several mechanisms that happen in the kidneys um, that react to the hyperchloremia. So when the glomeruli perceive high content, the chloride uh, in the blood, it will uh, induce a decrease of reabsorption of the chloride in the proximal tubule. This decrease of reabsorption of chloride will increase the content of chloride in the distal tubule of the kidneys. And once that reach there, there's a several mechanism uh, happens and release um, uh, a vasoconstrictor called adenosine. Adenosine can actually induces um, vasoconstriction of afferent arteria in the kidney, which leads to decrease of glomerular filtration rate and increase of creatinine level. And that's explained why um, the acute renal failure. Uh, let's skip this. That's another uh, study may give uh, some reason why uh, the uh, hyperchloremia can 
uh, induce uh, acute renal failure. This is a randomized controlled double-blind crossover study. So uh, these all volunteer, so it's not a sick patient. They accept to receive two liters of sedin and then followed by plasma light and vice versa. So this diagram in the left side is the change of the body weight uh, in the upper left and the, uh, in the lower right is the extravasations of uh, the fluid volume that can detect it uh, during the infusion of the saline or the plasma light. The dark duct represent the group of the plasma light, the open square represent uh, the group of the saline. So as you can see here in the left uh, upper uh, diagram, uh, once we give two liters of fluid, definitely there's an increase of weight in both groups, but over time, um, it seems that the, uh, there's a more decrease of uh, the body weight in the group of plasmalite as compared to the saline group. Um, and this, as you can see in the right lower, low, right, uh, lower part of the diagram, there's an increase of tissue edema in the saline group as compared to the plasmalite. There's some sort of uh, sodium retention, uh, perhaps induce water retention, causing more body weight increase in the plasma in the in the saline group, and as compared to the plasma light. The other the other part of the study is to look at the blood flow in the kidneys uh, by using MRI. Um, the blood flow uh, the in the kidney arteries, the renal artery flow velocity, uh, and also the renal cortical tissue perfusion. Um, and all this together with uh, assessing the renal volume change from the baseline after the infusion. So again, the, the, the open square is the sitting group and the, the dark dark is the plasma-like group. As you can see, what we, uh, after the infusion, two liter infusion of the fluid, we assist have a decrease of the flow velocity more in the sitting group as compared to the plasma-like group. And this is associated with a decreased perfusion uh, and increase of the volume uh, in the kidney. It's suggestive there's a, a tissue edema in the kidneys, decreased blood flow, and decreased the perfusion in the kidney in the, in the sitting group as compared to the plasma light group. That might one another explanation of why hyperkalemia associated with saline infusion will cause acute renal failure. So these are the volunteer. Let's look at the more sick patient in ICU patient. One center in Melbourne, a center of uh, 22 ICU beds. This is a pilot study with two consecutive periods, six months each. In each period, we use either saline or no saline solution to resuscitate and to treat septic shock patient. And we want to uh, assess the effect of hyperchloremia on incidence of acute renal failure in ICU. Again, they uh, categorized uh, the acute renal failure as risk, injury, and failure. And we combined the injury and failure together. In the control group, which is chloride liberal, we use saline to treat septic shock patient. We have a combined risk of injury and failure uh, of 14% and compared to the interventional group. So use the, um, the balanced solution group. Uh, in that group, there's only 10% of plasma light and most of them receive ringers. 
there's a reduction of the risk to 8.4% of risk of injury and failure together. And this is statistically uh, significant. So again, saline in, uh, infusion uh, is associated with kidney failure or kidney injury uh, in, in septic shock patient. Well, you can say this is a two consecutive uh, period. It's not randomized controlled trial. So let's look at the look, look at some randomized controlled trial in ICU patient. This is a smart trial uh, published in 2018 in New England. It's a pragmatic study in five academic center and Vanderbilt University in Nashville. It's a cluster randomized multiple crossover seeding versus balanced solution. So mainly ringers, uh, uh, minority on plasma light. They want to look at the outcome on MAKE, the major acute kidney event at 30 days, which is defined as an increase of more than 50% of the creatinine level as compared to the baseline or uh, needs of CRT uh, um, or the creatinine level more than uh, 350 millimole per liter. So the study has been conducted between 2015 to 2017 three medical units, two surgical units. Units are randomized, not patients. Units are randomized to saline or to balanced solution. So this is the baseline characteristic of the groups. They are all comparable, mainly Caucasian, 58 year old. Year, uh, year old. Um, I want to uh, point out here that 15% of patients are admitted for the sepsis or septic shock. Um, most of the patients came from the eMERGE uh, and 20% of patients from the surgery. And last uh, uh, information I want to underline is the predicted risk of the hospital death rate is around 9%. So it's not quite high. And I can imagine maybe it's not very sick patient or uh, or the patient uh, admitted in the ICU, in just medical ICU, mainly not uh, uh, septic shock patient. So in both group, as you can see here in the balanced crystalloid group, we use most uh, balanced solution, very little uh, saline solution. In the saline group, we use mostly saline as compared to very little balanced solution. One point I want to uh, underline again is up to seven days, we use uh, only less than three liters of fluid to those septic patients or those ICU patients. So it's not much as compared to the first study in the, in the river trial, we almost give 12 liters or 13 liters uh, of fluid uh, in the first three days of uh, uh, treatment of septic shock. Two uh, point I want to uh, discuss is perhaps because patients are not too sick, so we don't need to give too much fluid, or because there's a shift of paradigm of uh, fluid resuscitation in septic shock. Um, definitely, we're not giving too much fluid to those patients. So as expected in the um, uh, group of the uh, sitting, um, we have increase of chloride in the blood uh, as compared to the balanced solution, as compared to uh, ringers. And also uh, in the saline group, we have a, 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 a reduced level of the bicarb bicarbonate as compared to the balanced uh, crystalloids. So more acid in the group of saline. 
This is the slideshow, the outcome. The major ad adverse kidney event within 30 days in the balanced crystalline group, we have 14.3%. And in compared to the sitting group, we have 15.4%. So there's a reduction of 10% by using balanced solution as compared to sitting solution of risk of the kidney events. And this is statistically significant. Um, in other primary outcome, the death is not different. CRT is not different. Um, and the, um, and the uh, renal replacement or uh, without renal replacement uh, therapy is not different. So several studies have shown that the infusion of uh, fluid of sitting compared to balanced solution had definitely uh, contribute to acute renal failure um, in the septic shock patient. So let's say, let's see other patients, not very sick, in the emerged patients. Um, is any beneficial effect of using balanced solution versus saline? Um, so they use uh, in the mean uh, crystal volume of 1.5, the maximum is 2.2 liter in both groups. Um, and again, in the sitting group, we have more sodium, more chloride, and less uh, bicarb as compared to the balanced uh, crystalloids. But also there's a trend of increase uh, of the creatinine level in the saline group. And we look at the same thing, the kidney function uh, at 28 days, um, at 30 days, sorry. And the definition of the major advanced kidney event is the increase of 200% of the creatinine level as compared to the baseline. and Again, we see the reduction of the risk of the kidney dysfunction when you use more balanced solution as compared to normal seeding, uh, about 18% of reduction as compared to uh, seeding, and this is statistically significant. So I just will finish with the, some take-home message. Uh, definitely fluid overload is associated with increased mortality and morbidity in septic shock patients. Uh, river trials tell us that we have to treat those patients as rapidly as possible, give them fluids, give them pressures, antibiotics, but we need to avoid the volume overload. Seating trend with more blood loss in post I didn't uh, talk about this, but there's a, some uh, retrospective uh, data show there's a, some uh, more blood loss with uh, use of seating in post-op patient. Saline versus balanced solution, definitely we have some data on metabolic acidosis, acute renal failure, and perhaps associate with increased mortality in post-op patients. Resuscitation only with normal saline, I don't think it's not, not, it's, it's not the way to go. Um, we need to tailor our, our treatment, our fluid resuscitation according to the acid-base status, volume status, and coagulation status. Balanced solution is probably a good choice for fluid resuscitation combined with other solutions, saline, albumin, uh, or blood if the patient needs blood. But the question remains among the crystalloid um, balanced solution, which one is better? Is it plasmolite or ringers? I still don't know. There's no data up there now. Uh, we still to wait for other trial, but there's two ongoing trials. One is basic trial and the other one is plus trial is assessing the ICU patient um, to see if any benefit uh, by using plasma-like versus saline, definitely on mortality and morbidity and also the kidney uh, function uh, in those patients. But uh, the results, uh, the, the trials ongoing results are pending 
definitely in the next few years, it will be interesting to see what will be the result. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iconnect.baxter.com.